episode 472. Is weightlifting a waste of time? With Dr. John Jaquish. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of the number one men's development podcast that is now a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics to Thrive. And it is my mission to share you the real stories, the useful stuff, the juicy stuff, and the reality of what it takes to thrive. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my bag. This episode is sponsored by x3bar.com. Lifting weights is actually not efficient for creating muscle growth. Now, 16 studies have found that variable resistance in the proper proportion can develop muscle to a far greater degree and faster. X3 delivers this in an elegant way and is one of the least expensive and most effective home gyms available today. Just go and check out x3bar.com and see how many professional athletes have switched to this program and are ditching standard weightlifting. That's x3bar.com. Get to the podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about weightlifting is a waste of time and carnival nutrition and lots of interesting stuff. We've got Dr. John Jakewish on the line, and he is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. John, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? I'm ready. That was quite a brief introduction. Is there anything you'd like to add or highlight? Well, a lot of the stuff that's like right around the corner, I can't talk about because, you know, <laughs> patents are being drafted and we're going back and forth with patent attorneys. So I'm always working on something. In the briefest, kind of like someone who's interested in your book, why is weightlifting a waste of time? So it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a hyperbolic title, but you got to grab people's attention. And I oh, do definitely. think weightlifting is a waste of time. I'll never lift weights again. It's actually pretty stupid. Uh, once I discovered, so I, I developed a medical device to treat osteoporosis. It's actually the most effective treatment of osteoporosis the world has ever seen. Works better than any drug, has no side effects, uh, and works faster. So, but it's a, it's a medical device and it has to do with compression on bone. And so it's really simple and elegant. And, and when I looked at what people were capable of putting through their bone mass, I saw little old ladies who had never exercised putting six, seven, eight times their body weight through their hip joint. Now in a very specific position, the position you nor normally absorb impact. Yeah. But it was mind blowing because this is weight that like professional athletes don't expose themselves to. Gymnasts do because they drop to the ground and they get yeah. the, the velocity effect. So they get many times their body weight. A dismount from the uneven bars can be 10 times their body weight. Of course, they fracture all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. The average uh, a gymnast retires at the age of 19 for a reason. Like you, yeah, you get beat up and full of injuries. But yeah, that's part of the sport. So I, I, my quest was to create a medical device that gave the benefit of high impact forces uh, without the risks of injury. And I did this to treat my mother's osteoporosis first. Once that worked, then I launched it to the world. So, um, but in this research that I did, and it was all done in, it was all done in East London, actually, okay. uh, University of East London. Uh, I was there for that. And then some of the, the, some of the test subjects were the physicians that worked in the hospital, postmenopausal females. And they said to me, I, I can't believe how much force like they look at the amount of kilograms that were going through their lower extremities, through their hip joints, which is the biggest issue 
with uh, osteoporotic fractures. Those are the fractures that end up ending your life. Um, they're saying, what, how does this compare to regular weightlifting? Because nobody lifts these sorts of weights. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, nobody does. And so I go, you know, it's an interesting question. I'm gonna find the answer. So I went and looked at the, the normative data that is stored uh, via the NAINS database, which is the largest health and fitness database. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's an NIH, uh, National Institute of Health, uh, American government funded program where they basically get a staggering amount of health statistics from 2,000 people per year. And they've been doing it for over 10 years. So 20,000 people. <laughs> and it turns out that when people lift weights, they, the, the, the weight is very low. And so because they're going through a full range of motion. Yeah. So it dawned on me instantly. I thought, wow. We have such different capacity from the weaker range to the stronger range in every movement that it doesn't make sense to lift a static weight. So if you pick up a hundred pound barbell and you do an exercise with it, at the bottom, it might be difficult for you. At the yeah. top, you're barely firing any muscle at all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you're not really stimulating much outside of the weaker, whatever few fibers fire at the bottom of the movement. So, and I'm going to quote Peter Atia here. He's never really been a fan of weightlifting. He says, or he calls it standard fitness. The problem with standard fitness is we tend to overload joints and underload muscle. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, like this guy yeah. the same way I am. Not, I was thinking from a bone density perspective, he's just a general exercise because he's, he's an exercise fanatic. Dr. T is amazing. So when looking at the situation, like, okay, I need a weight that changes. So I thought, okay, band training. I'll just tell everybody to use bands. I'll write a book about it. And so when I started looking at some of the band training I could recommend, because I was going to make this a, like a deep scientific dive into variable resistance. You want yeah. the resistance to change. So when your joints are most likely to injure, you want to use a lower weight. When you're in your more powerful position, you need like magnitudes greater, like 5x greater of force that you would use, a huge variability. And because I had the data, I knew what the variability ratios were. So no one else had this information in the whole world ever. So because I had the exclusive access to this information, I thought, well, I wasn't the only one, the other researchers did, but they weren't thinking about the problems with exercise. Yeah. I happened to be a guy who had gone to, gone to gyms for 20 years and I really didn't get anything out of it. Nobody ever like said, hey, do you work out? I just looked like a regular guy. I was chubby, I was 19% body fat, six feet tall, um, and I weighed like 190 pounds. So th those aren't good stats. I was gonna say, and that is uh, not the case now from your book cover. Is, is that no, you? Not, that's me, yeah. <laughs> just saying, that's not, this is the cover of my book. Lookalikey for those who listen on the podcast. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm in incredible shape now. I'm 240 pounds. Uh, and so I've gained a lot of muscle, uh, and I've lost a lot of body fat. I've gained, lost about 20 pounds of body fat. Uh, so, so that's, that's, that's even more muscle I gained because I'm, you know, I'm heavier and I'm about 7% body fat last time I checked, but I think I'm a little bit leaner. I'm starting to see veins in my abdominals. So, uh, lean. Yeah. And, um, now that I understand what we were doing wrong, 
Weightlifting is a waste of time. That was me being nice. I could have said weightlifting is for idiots. Now, that's unfair to say. Yeah. Because people didn't know what I knew. So I don't want to be calling people idiots, but I do like the hyperbolic title. So weightlifting is a waste of time. That doesn't mean resistance training is a waste of time. Yeah. Because when you apply variable resistance, you grow so much faster. Hmm. And, and uh, let's face it, like, I don't know why people defend the fitness industry. It's the most failed human endeavor ever. How many people do you know that have worked out on a regular basis for years and they're still fat? Oh, or no, yeah. Loads of still skinny. <laughs> or, or, you know, they still haven't developed any muscle and they're the same body fat. And people say, well, they don't train hard. Yeah, okay. They do. Like, you don't drive to a gym and get out of your car, have a change of clothes to go there and, like, just nominally move a little bit. They're training to fatigue, they're yeah. doing it right. But the problem is, these guys, like the tool is wrong. So if you were pounding nails all day long, if you were working in construction, but instead of a hammer, you know, you just had like a small stone. You'd probably have busted fingernails and all your hands would be bloody and you wouldn't be able to drive many nails. You're just using the wrong tool. Yeah. So talk to us about, you know, specifically your device and then use the sort of the tools you recommend and what you've been using to get in this kind of shape. Right, so I wrote the book to explain the rationale because mm -hmm. a lot of people see my product and they're like, it's a bar, but you know, I can roll this and you see how the hook stays parallel with the ground. Yeah, yeah. so there's bearings in, it's a solid steel core, anodized aluminum on the exterior. This will hold over a thousand pounds. And because of how strong you don't know you are, you're gonna need that capacity. And people have no idea. Like, like I have put people on, put guys in the NFL on this national football league uh, american football so i put it on and i load them you know where the top of their chest press is 550 pounds and the bottom is about 100 pounds and there's a steep curve like towards yeah. towards the end which is coincidentally our biomechanics yeah so the hooks on the end is that is that used to attach attached to a very heavy latex banding heavier okay. than yeah. has ever been seen before yeah so it's a simple device it enables you to train heavier with more repetitions than you ever could with weights. So it's just like a hack to get more force through a muscle than you could ever, ever dream of handling in a gym. And when you go to fatigue with those tremendous forces, you trigger massive growth. And this is everybody. Yeah. Like I, I don't, other than just like, you know, I got sick or, or uh, you know, I, I moved and I can't, you know, I don't have time to work out anymore. Like the only people that fail are the people who like, have to give up their X3 because of like, like I said, like a medical problem. Yeah. And this is the device as well that you're using for the, the, the women with their hips as well? Yep. Yep. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no it's not. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a $165,000 medical device. Oh, that's I thought that sounded very different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's found at franchise clinics in eight different countries around the world. It's hugely successful, but it's primarily targeted at bone health. Yeah. Uh, we're in, I mean, it's great for athletes to do, but kind of a luxury. It's, it's a so, big experience. Okay. So that's a big piece of machinery, is it? A big piece of Oh, yeah. No one has this at their home. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tony Robbins has it at his home. But, uh, <laughs> he's Tony Robbins. Okay. Well, nice talk just briefly about your uh, origins. Where are you originally from? Where are you speaking to me from today? And, uh, and how did you, obviously, you're a doctor. How did you get into this 
line of work? I know you said you were sort of helping your mom kind of inspired you to create some of this. Yeah, I invented it before getting my PhD. Okay. Because I, I knew like, and, and one of the things like, I, I went really unorthodox when it came to getting my PhD. So uh, a bunch of um, English and American professors started a university called Rushmore University. And, uh, you know, they started it in the 90s. So like, it doesn't really have like a long academic reputation. Yeah. Things um, and I chose it because they would let me study my own invention for my PhD dissertation. It's probably you go to awesome. a PhD yeah. program and they give you some, here's what you need to study and they pick it. And it could be some stupid. Yeah. Six you put a lot of time and effort into that. Yeah. Writing about something that you don't care about. That seems like an awful long six years. Now people do it so they can be become professors. Mm -hmm. Rushmore University is not that kind of university. You go there to get the experience, uh, to learn how to communicate in an academic manner, which I did. And I'm a, pretty decent i'm a decent enough academic writer i'm the uh i i do editing and peer review for a number of different medical journals so i got the skill that i needed and that's that's really all all i went there for yeah. you know my, my mother was diagnosed with osteoporosis towards the end of uh my undergrad you know, university yeah. experience um where i was playing rugby and uh um so i I was always very athletic and focused on adaptations of the body. And like, I was, I was failing miserably at being the strong athlete I wanted to be. And I knew there's something grossly wrong because yeah. I just saw so many people working out and getting nothing out of it. And then there'd be a guy who would show up and then six months later, he gained like, you know, 20 pounds of muscle. And you're like, how did that guy do it? He did exactly the same thing I did. Yeah. And I have the answer. Ah. The answer is that people have different tendon layouts. So I'm going to stick my arm out here. Most people can't see it. Yeah. But most people have the, the pectoral insertion right at the top of their bicep. Yeah. Which gives them a, a moment arm right here, right? So those that can't see me or listening to this, it's just from the bicep to about the middle of the pectoral is acts as a lever. But yeah. some people have the attachment at the other end of their bicep. So they have a much longer lever yeah. or lever, as you would say. <laughs> yeah. uh, and by doing so, you are able to access the weaker range of motion to a higher degree than other people. So people that have this genetic anomaly are the ones who become incredibly strong very easily. Mm. You know, like when sometimes a, a guy who's incredibly muscular says like, I'm natural, you know, I don't take any performance enhancing drugs, people don't believe him. It's because his training has such an advantage or she, there, yeah. there are women born with this anomaly also, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. It's, you know, maybe like a few percentage points of the, of the population. They have a stronger, weaker range. When it comes to what I created, now everybody has that advantage because we offload the weaker range. And coincidentally, you don't stimulate much growth in the weaker range. You stimulate it in the stronger range. So now everybody can have the same gifted genetics or the effect of the same gifted genetics. Everybody. And that's by strategically loading the body heavier where you are more capable, less heavy where you're less capable to protect. Uh, so being protective on joints, you end up having no pain from training. 
and you grow much faster. There's a study that shows you grow three times faster. And I used to say you get kind of three times the results, but it's actually more like infinite times the results because most people who lift weights don't accomplish anything. Mm. And, and I, I, I always tell people like there's data on this and it's in the book. It shows like, like, you know, just, just how rare it is to be lean. Like the rarest one percentile in the United States is 10.6%. That's pathetic. Yeah, that's not that's that good. Top 1%, 10.6% is like you can barely see your abs. Yeah, that's what I see. Like yeah. Maybe the top two, just a little bit of outline. Just sticking out the chub. Okay. So when it. It, when it came to obviously finishing your PhD and like you said, some people want to go down the professor route. When did you launch your own company? The right at the company? same time I started my PhD. Okay. Always had entrepreneurial roots. You always wanted to go down that route or were you ever can, you know, going down a route and work with someone else or talk to us about that and launching, you know, this. Sort I've of never followed instructions. Well, uh, my father, he was entrepreneurial, but he did it in big companies. He was always inventing stuff. So yeah. he has over, I don't know, maybe over a thousand patents by now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he was working for defense research laboratories, which was a weapons contractor for general motors. And he designed and built the lunar Rover for NASA while there. And then he worked at jet propulsion laboratories and, um, wow. A bunch of great engineering of different, different products. And then, then he, of all things, he ended up going into the postal service because he, he, he developed a couple of systems for them and they really appreciated it. And they're like, Oh gosh, you know, you, you, would you ever work for a government agency? You know, like <laughs> at first he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, he did, but then after that, he was in his fifties when he started his first company and he was like, wow, like this is like, I, I made so much money for the shareholders of general motors, jet propulsion laboratories. Like he said, I made money for the shareholders of these companies. I didn't really think about myself because I just liked the work. Yeah. I liked the engineering. It was a challenge. It was, it was fun. I liked showing up and explaining to everyone how they need to stop trying to solve the problem the way we've been trying to solve the same problem. Yeah, really good at figuring out alternative solutions and different approaches yes. talking about you obviously you're figuring out some alternative solutions for stuff in front of you and when it comes to your own business when did you feel like it really started to click or you had some kind of success and you're like this is this is the path because there's obviously at some point when you're thinking well what will i do what shall i do obviously yeah. and, and you feel like it's you really started you know cracking it, on when my mother took a dexa scan and she had been growing incredible amounts of bone density like, as it was a theory that I pretty much knew would work because I, I research things to the point where I have, I can speak with absolute conviction because I know, I know it works. Mm -hmm. So there, and I, and I'd say urge every entrepreneur, when you have an idea, you have to absolutely know that what you have is better than anything else out there. And if you don't, if you're hoping, if you're just saying it, you know, at some point some investor will go, well, let's put it to a test. And then, and then you're gonna, no matter what happens in the test, it's gonna be obvious you didn't run that test. Yeah. You gotta test everything. Yeah. You gotta Talk about know. that testing from that in idea, kind of that inception to, you know, 
the, the product's done, finished, been tested, and it's out there. How long was that period? And what was the most challenging point or points? It was about eight years for the bone density device. It was about eight weeks for X3, for the muscular stimulus device, because I learned a lot. Yeah. Also, muscle develops a lot faster than bone does. So yeah. I mean, that, that's a reality in there. But, yeah. you know, you got to – and I, I was better at testing, honestly, because I had already finished my PhD at that point. Yeah. The research most challenging point in that eight years of getting the, the bone density one out there and, you know, peep successful. Most challenging point was just the days when I didn't have enough physicians referring. It was frustrating because I knew I had a better solution, but I was worried about just running out of capital. Mm. So I did take on some investors for the first one, the first company I started. And man, I regretted that. It was just babysitting after that. Ah. What are your thoughts around nutrition to kind of, you know, complement and go with sort of your device and, you know, getting in decent shape? So I am dry fasted for 20 hours a day. I do not eat anything and I do not drink any liquid at all for 20 hours. That includes sleep time. But uh, so I burn body fat at a very rapid pace. As a result, dry fasting, uh, your body doesn't want to be dehydrated. So first you feel a little bit dehydrated and then your body starts going after metabolic water, which means cannibalizing non-vascular cells so that it can get at the water that's stored in those cells. Of course, we only have one non-vascular type of cell. That's body fat, right? Yeah. Body fat's the only thing that's in you that's not an organ. It just exists as storage is just there. So you cannibalize that body fat and you know, there's an autophagic process which recycles uh, the other stuff that's in those cells that can appropriate it differently. How did you get to that point? Did you break yourself in gently to that? And what was some of that? How did you feel going to that level? Because the most I've ever, you know, done on a consistent basis was like sort of 16 hour fasting. And that's, yeah, and that wasn't dry yeah, fast either. And, and, then, and then maybe a, you know, a, a 24 hour, 36 hour fast every now and then, but never to the level that you're doing there. Well, there are many who say, uh, there's no clinical trial with this statement, mm -hmm. but there's many experts in the field that say you end up stimulating three times the autophagy and thereby three times the amount of fat loss with dry fasting as opposed to regular fasting. And I immediately believed that when I heard that statistic, because I used to drive fast when I wrestled in high school. And that was the other time I had veins in my abs. I was so lean. And what were the challenges, you know, going to this 20 hour dry fast now? And, and obviously you noticed the, the body fat coming off, but were there any challenges in, in concentration, doing your daily, um, you know, your daily activities? Or was it just a question of willpower and getting used to it? Did you have any headaches or anything like that? Or? So great question. Getting used to it. Like you have to realize that you're making a huge change in your daily biochemistry uh, by changing hydration. Um, and your body can handle it just fine. But there is a transitional period where when you change your hydration, like you either get, you have too high a blood pressure because you're overhydrated and you get a headache or you're dehydrated and you get a headache 
because basically you're not making, you haven't made enough cerebrospinal fluid, uh, which is part of hydration, to basically hydrate, you know, the, the, the casing that your brain is in. Yeah. So your brain's actually sitting at the bottom of your skull like, hey, we need some water here. We got to flow. <laughs> so that's kind of how it works. That's an oversimplification, but you get it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, but now keep, keep in mind when people are smokers and they stop smoking, they have the same hydration issues because smoking is a vasoconstrictor, dehydrates people. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're overhydrated and they're like, oh, it feels like my head's going to explode. Yeah. Because there's a lot of pressure in there and you have high blood pressure today. But after two or three weeks, it's gone. Yeah. So would you recommend if someone's going to give it a go, they just go straight to the 20 hours or they, you know, they, you know, do it in baby uh, steps. Start, start with uh, just fat, doing water fasting first. So intermittent fasting, one meal a day. Yeah. Go like, so you're eating for half an hour. So it's more like a 23 and a half hour fasted period. The reason I have four hours is because I need four hours to rehydrate. Mm-hmm. So rehydrate. Yeah. So it's basically I'm emulating Ramadan fasting. Yeah. Uh, and there's a ton of research on that. So I know it's safe. It's because this way I've recommended to other people or, I mean, I haven't done that yet. I haven't yeah. gone, this is what to do. I'd say, this is what I do. Yeah. And in those four hours, apart from hydrating, what sort of things do you mix it up in terms of your, your diet? You do you eat? Is it quite variable or what sort of stuff? I eat. So there's one meal a day. And uh, in that four hour window, I consume the majority of my protein from bacterial fermentation. Uh, in the, there's a product called Fortigen, which is the most efficient essential amino acid. It was actually uh, a derivative of a cancer treatment that was using essential amino acids. And so this is a very efficient protein. So I take one like 32 ounce yeah. drink with four scoops in it. And that gives me 200 grams of protein. And uh, I mean, it's so, it dissolves so easily, the drink is clear. So I consume that at, and then I'd use that to rehydrate. I, it takes me about an hour to get, get through that because I, I don't want to gulp it. Yeah. After being hydrated, you don't, you don't want to chug anything. <laughs> Just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, and then, so then I'll have a meal, which is only steak. That's all I eat, no vegetables. Uh, vegetables have oxalate to cause inflammation. Um, this information has been around for 50 years. We just chose to ignore it. I mean, what, what, you don't need antioxidants if you're not oxidizing. Oxidizing is inflammation. So wor- working out gives you a temporary amount of inflammation. Yeah. That actually helps you grow. But like chronic inflammation from nutrition, from poor nutrition, yeah. you're just adding to it by eating vegetables. So I eat no vegetables at all, uh, just meat. I'm leaner and stronger than ever. Everything's better. My blood work is better. Um, cholesterol is a little higher, but now we know that low-density lipoprotein, LDL, what was called previously called bad cholesterol, the higher it is, the longer you live. So it was it's true that it's actually the opposite of what we were told when the statin drugs still had a patent. So they lowered your LDL, and then people died younger. Yeah. Wow, man. Well, this is a, this is a, a fountain of knowledge here. This one I'm keeping pretty quiet because I know I've got much time. And I know you could just keep going all day on this. We're going to move into the alpha round to wrap things up, and right. I like to start that off with: Is there a particular 
favorite quote that really kind of sums up your approach to life or maybe the sort of thing you might have up in your office somewhere? Winston Churchill said, you'll never get to where you're going if you stop and throw rocks at every barking dog. And, uh, you know, when you're the first one to do something, if you're a me too product, if you have like another protein powder, that's no different than anyone else's, you'll still get trolls and haters and losers who, I mean, haters are just jealous losers. Yeah. Like they just wish they had what you have. Cause if it were, if you truly had a stupid product, they would ignore you because they'd know it's going to go out of business. So why are they really, why are they really haters? It's cause they see something that they know is going to do great. They know works and they know is going to score big time and they're just furious. They didn't think of it. But of course they're losers. So it's not like they're, they were going to go out and start a business anyway, because they're sitting at home in front of their computer telling their mom to make them another hot pocket because they're <laughs> being badass on the internet. Uh, yeah. These people awesome. are losers. But I have learned to uh, farm the losers so that they make money. Like the more outraged they are and the more you can keep them outraged and coming at you, they drag along their non-loser friends who then read what I have to say because they can actually read. Yeah. <laughs> I think the trolls, I don't even think they can read. Like, like they have to sound out the words. And if you try, show them some scientific study, no way they're getting through that. <laughs> they can't even read the title. Uh, so yeah. And, and of course the fitness industry is, uh, there's, there's more gross unintelligence there yeah, than most industries. So, and apart from your own book there, which I'm sure is, is in, is impactful. Mm -hmm. What are there any other impactful books in your life or just an all time favorite? Maybe you read it at the right time. It's what you needed to hear. Uh, it sounds like you read a lot of uh, research journals, but is there any other, anything, a book that springs to mind? Yes. Uh, zero to one by Peter Thiel. Ah. That, that basically, that is like my business plan. And I wrote my business plan and then read Peter Thiel's book like a couple years later. And I was like, does this dude have access to my email? <laughs> like, this is like, and I mean, it's a how-to on like what the best entrepreneurial things to do are. You know, like you need something, intellectual property that's protected. You need a patent. I like the sound of this book. I haven't read oh, it. Yeah. I want to read this. I mean, yeah. Like also it, it says some things that, that were obvious to me, but aren't obvious to other people. Like if you want to enforce your patents in China, you file Chinese patents and get retain a Chinese law firm, both of which I did way long ago. And I've actually shut down uh, knockoff companies of the X3 product. Wow. Strength muscle product. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, shut, I've shut down entire companies over there uh, be, because they violated a patent. And so what, what the mistake a lot of people make is they file a patent in the United States and then they're upset that somebody copied them in China. Well, John, we're pretty much out of time now, but if, if people want to continue the conversation, what is the best way they can follow up with you? What's the best way they can find out more information? Yeah, I have a landing page, which has links to Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, I do most of my stuff on Instagram. I just prefer the platform. It's yep. nice. uh, so it's drj.com, D-O-C-T-O-R, the letter J.com. Perfect. And we'll put them links in the show notes. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. This episode is sponsored by x3bar.com. 
Lifting weights is actually not efficient for creating muscle growth. Now, 16 studies have found that variable resistance in the proper proportion can develop muscle to a far greater degree and faster. X3 delivers this in an elegant way and is one of the least expensive and most effective home gyms available today. Just go and check out x3bar.com and see how many professional athletes have switched to this program and are ditching standard weightlifting. That's x3bar.com. All right, have a great week. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back.